thanks for joining me for another episode of Public Theologians, where Christian theology animates leftist political action. I'm Casey Hobbs. This week in the news, nonstop has been the conflict with Russia and Ukraine. Most of what we're hearing is about the inhumane things that Russia is doing. We're hearing about the terrible things that Vladimir Putin is doing. We're hearing about the terrible things that are being done to the people of Ukraine. We're hearing and seeing videos from the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, with a t-shirt on, talking tough. And we are left in a place with almost no context about this geopolitical issue. We're left in a place where we're witnessing what we see, what we can only see as moral atrocities. And we're experiencing them in the wake of spending the last six years with nothing but Cold War propaganda about alliances with our former president, Donald Trump, and Vladimir Putin. And that may be completely absent of facts, but it doesn't mean that it is not the prevailing narrative even to this moment. Well, I reached out at the end of last year, before this was happening, to an incredible scholar, really dynamic speaker named Dr. Sharice Burden-Stelly. She's known as Dr. CBS on social media. She is the visiting scholar in the Race and Capitalism Project at the University of Chicago and an assistant professor of Africana Studies and Political Science at Carrollton College. She's working on a book manuscript that is currently titled Black Scare, Red Scare, and it's going to be published with the University of Chicago Press. So I reached out to her. She told me about a comrade of hers that she wanted on the episode as well. So she brought in Erica Keynes. Erica is coordinating committee and outreach team member of the Black Alliance for Peace. She's the founder of Liberation Through Reading, and she's also the co-author of the African revolutionary blog, Hood Communist. In this conversation, we talked about the current Russia-Ukraine conflict. We talked about NATO. We talked about what is being missed in the conversation. We talked about the complications and the U.S. imperialism that has created this moment. In this episode, I definitely got an education. I'm sure that you'll get an education too. You may not agree with everything that is said in what follows, but you're going to have to prove them wrong because they are bringing up some really salient points that are not being discussed by and large. So one plug before we get into the conversation, give the show a like, a rating or view on Apple Podcasts. That would be very helpful to get this show out to a wider audience. You can support the show for as little as a buck a month on patreon.com slash Casey Hobbs. And without further ado, my conversation with Dr. CBS and Erica Keynes. Dr. CBS and Erica Keynes, thank you so much for joining me on Public Theologians today. Thank you for having us. So can you all just give a quick introduction to yourself, uh, especially as folks are listening so they can follow your voice and, and know who you are? Sure. Uh, my name is Sharice Bernanceli, or CBS, as I'm commonly known. Um, <laughs> I'm a professor of Africana Studies and Political Science, um, and I am a member of the Black Alliance for Peace. I'm on the coordinating committee, and I am um, the co-coordinator of the research and political education team. Excellent. And Erica? Yeah, my name is Erica Keynes, and I am on the Black Alliance for Peace as well. I'm a coordinating committee member. I'm also a member of the Maryland State Political Party, Ujima People's Progress Party, which is a Black working class party. 
um, out here, and I am co-editor of Hood Communists, which is an African revolutionary blog, and I am also founder of uh, Liberation Through Reading, which gives books to Black children. That's excellent. I, I love what y'all are, are involved in. I reached out to Dr. CBS uh, at the end of last year, and when we finally got this together, um, she mentioned that Erica needed to be a part of the conversation, so I'm, I'm after reading her her pieces, uh, your pieces, Erica, I'm, I'm really excited to have both of you on um, for the conversation. Okay, so kind of getting getting our feet wet, y'all both mentioned the Black Alliance for Peace. So I want to I want to want y'all to expound on that. Tell us about the platform. Tell us about what that is. And yeah, we'll we'll go from there. Do you want to start, Erica, since uh, you recruited me? <laughs> All right. Uh. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, that's funny, too. So the Black Alliance for Peace is um, it's a formation committed to redeveloping the Black radical um, internationalist positions against war, repression, imperialism. Uh, we see and understand imperialism as both a domestic and global issue. Um, so, yeah, so we are an alliance of individuals and um organizations and we've been established since April 4th 2017. Yeah. Okay. Yeah April 4th is an important date not only because of um, the King assassination but because of the founding of NATO and so mm -hmm. it's sort of bringing those two things together we're anti-imperialist but we're also for a world centered on people-centered human rights. And I just want to run through our principles of unity yeah, just so, because that gives sort of what we stand for, um, right to self-defense, self-determination, anti-imperialism, working class foundation, um, intersectionality, anti-patriarchy, decolonization, prisoner support, Black unity, um, Southern roots, um, which is both the U.S. South and the global South, um, anti-capitalism, and the Black radical peace tradition. So all of those things sort of um, inform the campaigns we take up, uh, the positions that we take, and um, the work that we're engaged in. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I set it up in the in the introduction, but uh, we're going to talk about Ukraine. This is we're recording this on March four, so the UK, Ukraine Russia um, conflict has been highly in the news for the last week uh, as, as Putin and Russia have invaded. And one of the, one of the main points that I think is super overlooked um, in this conversation is NATO. And so I'm, I'm really excited as I was looking again through y'all's um, points on that and the connections to NATO Yeah, about getting really into, into the weeds, um, hopefully about the role that NATO plays in, in that, um, the history of Ukraine, the recent history of this conflict that didn't just, maybe it didn't just arise only because Putin is a madman and crazy, um, although maybe that's sort of related, um, sort of plays in, but I think understanding the rationale of, uh, of these global conflicts is really important. Um, so as kind of an entree into that and to, to kind of give us a lens um, of, of the Black Alliance for Peace and how y'all see um, the specifics playing out. I wanted to get into a piece that each of you wrote back on Martin Luther King Day on January 19, 
Um, so Erica, you wrote a really great, co-wrote a really great article um, called Biden and Harris, the never-ending commitment to, to war and terror. Um, so if you can just give us the gist of what that is. Um, I know there was, there was a lot of hope that Biden would be the second coming of FDR um, domestically, that um, we were done bullying our friends worldwide. Obviously, um, I think that was a, a very rosy outlook on Biden um, and Harris just from their historical positions and recent positions. Um, but give us, yeah, give us the gist of that article, Erica, and, and talk, talk to us about how Biden and Harris have, as president and vice president, um, continued their, continued the, the longstanding tradition of war and terror worldwide. Right. Um, so I wrote that piece with um, co-editor of The Communist, Salifu Mack. Um, and what we really wanted to get across is just the hypocrisy of, of the Biden-Harris administration. Um, as, you, as you noted, Biden was supposed to be someone who defeated fascism. Um, the left would be easier um, to push. Um, and none of those things resolved in anything. We see a stalled Build Back Better bill as $768 billion goes into the Department of Defense budget. Drone strikes continuously on Somalia, sanctions in Ethiopia and Eritrea, um, the disastrous alleged pullout in, in Afghanistan, um, the relationship with Israel and the increased funding towards them, and then um, the constant aggression towards China uh, as they're doing the, you know, anti-Asian um, hate campaign. Um, and then also the increased aggression towards Russia. And all of these things have occurred in a first year um, that was supposed to be um, a year of harm reduction. And, and that, you know, also what has been done to Haiti mm. Um, from the first day to the last um, day of the year, from the first day of his administration, um, from backing Jovenel Moise um, to the U.S. still being involved in picking uh, whatever leadership for Haiti, um, what happened at the border, the countless uh, deportations in the thousands. So they have a commitment to uh, U.S. backyard politics, U.S. Um, imperialism. Um, and we just wanted to highlight those things because I think like with this Ukraine situation or similar to the Ukraine situation and the, the use of Russiagate, um, making Trump the sole evil or sole boogeyman has allowed or disallowed for people to be critical about Biden um, going in, especially mm -hmm. uh, at the tail end of the summer of uprisings in 2020. Um, and now we see him recently saying that we don't need to refund the police or defund the police. We need to fund the police. And we watch like the entire Congress stand up and applaud that. Um, those are things that I think are being misguided, I guess. I mean, mainstream media is obviously uh, arm of the state, but I don't think it's necessarily solely them. I think it's an entire apparatus of uh, misleadership, 
of celebrities, um, uh, social media that serves as a buffer for any criticism that that, that administration could receive. Yeah, no, and I, um, I really, I really love how you phrase that. Um, one of the clips in this last few weeks um, that has really stuck with me is a segment that Condoleezza Rice did on Fox News and her her vehement deny uh, vehement um, just denunciation of Putin's invasion of the fact that we don't we don't lie to people as uh, the U.S. state. We don't, um, we don't interrupt sovereign borders. We don't um, commit preemptive war. And this is <laughs> coming from Condoleezza Rice, um, who is now back to just being a respected uh, person. Um, and, and I think this mania, again, and I, I love that you pointed that out, Erica, and, and in the article, that about Trump and about um, this Russian scare that has been going on, um, instead of having a self-reflective look from 2015, 2016 and saying, what, has, what have Democrats done wrong? What maybe have the liberal left wing done wrong? Instead, it's this boogeyman that now after five years of return to Cold War rhetoric, I mean, how can we, how can we possibly expect to understand and and have a head on our shoulders um, when we've forgotten everything before the boogeyman of Donald Trump came in. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm fascinated <laughs> by our kind of like goldfish memory in this and, and especially, and, and I love, again, Erica, I, I want you to kind of talk a little bit more about this past year. Um, and in particular, and we'll return to again to Russia and Ukraine, but in particular, AFRICOM, um, that's something that that is, I mean, I'll confess every time I hear about us having drone strikes or having any action in Africa, it's like shocking to me. I'm like, that's that's happening. <laughs> this is why are we doing this? Um, and so so talk Talk a little bit in specifics about Biden and Harris in in Africa over the past year. Well, yes, yeah, certainly they have. Um, Africom has expanded uh, in the sense that they have been involved in uh, in certain conflicts, especially in the Tigrayan uh, conflict. Uh, what's happening in uh, the French uh, neo colonies? Um, it's mostly. Uh, French military, but Africom is still right there. Um, what's happening in Somalia, um, especially, I think Somalia was thrown the exact same day of the quote unquote invasion um, and there was no word or, um, sorry, <laughs> you hear my son in the back. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful sound. <laughs> there was no mention of it. I mean, we make note in Hood Communist too, there's another article where we talk about, you know, we you know, the house is burning where we specifically talk about all of the things that is going on in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because 
the U.S. plays, is, well, the U.S. is everywhere, right? There's 800 military bases. Um, they have the entire world split into military commands. So they are everywhere. But I think that people don't really pay too much attention to AFRICOM until certain things happen. Um, and then even then, the role that AFRICOM plays is not a predominant role. Like they are not the ones who would be first seen. Like when I speak about what's going on in the French neo-colonies, um, like Mali, like uh, Burkina Faso, like in, um, in uh, uh, oh Guinea Conquery, <clears throat> all of those coups have taken place with people who were trained by both the French military and AFRICOM. So these are the roles that um, they have been playing. They're also in the southern region of Africa right now, combating terrorism, quote unquote. Um, so they're spread out all throughout, throughout Africa. Yeah. Um, they're in the northern region. Um, they have a, a deep impact in the horn. Um, I know they, there are African troops in uh, Kenya. Um, so they have a deep impact on the horn. I know, Sharice, if you wanted to maybe expand a little more on that because I do know that you have a little bit more um, info on just the southern region perhaps well you know I mean I, I think that you have um, essentially covered I think I think what's important to know about AFRICOM is not only the the types of operations in which they're engaging but what their very presence means for the types of policies that are adapted throughout the African continent so for example it should not be lost on people that when Kenya comes out condemning Russia, but has very little to say about the bombing of Somalia that has everything to do with the influence of AFRICOM and US um, imperialism and the, you know, the EU, NATO, US influence and in, on particular um, um, African countries more broadly. Um, there's, and you know, it's really hard to separate Something else that is is sort of fundamentally linked is the sanctions on Zimbabwe. So we'll talk more about sanctions, I'm sure, throughout this conversation. But the U.S. So AFRICOM is the sort of physical troops arm of the low intensity war that is sanctions. And so, as we know, sanctions were imposed on Zimbabwe shortly after Mugabe uh, rec reclaim the land <laughs> from settlers, right? So there's this whole, there's a way that AFRICOM also um, operates as a sort of apparatus to manage like settler colonialism on the African continent. Oftentimes when we speak about settler colonialism, Africa is not even part of that conversation sure. for whatever reason. But if you look at Kenya, South Africa, um, Zimbabwe, right? Rhodes like Rhodesia is like the quintessential settler crowd, like settler colonial projects. But anyway, so all of that to say, you know, I think that um, the presence of AFRICOM, it serves an ideological function, it serves a material function, and it, it, it serves to keep um, the African continent as a militarized zone, right? And so part of the work that Black Alliance of Peace, Black Alliance of Peace is also doing is, is um, Africa and Latin America as zones of peace. So to combat the sort of the use of places on the African continent, but even a place like Ukraine as bargaining chips, right? As cannon mm -hmm. fodder for the sort of, you know, and spaces of proxy war um, for um, 
over spheres of influence, right? And over sort of struggles over, over resources. Because the other important thing about the presence of AFRICOM um, on the African continent is that all of the strategic minerals for even things like the quote unquote Green New Deal um, mm -hmm. for, for technology, those minerals are concentrated on the African continent. And so this is gonna become increasingly a, a space of contestation. It, all, it has been since you know 1886, right? Mm -hmm. But it's gonna be, become an increasing space of contestation there's a whole situation in Mali, right? So there, there's just so much to say, right? That that one of the conflicts in Mali was the presence of a sort of a Russian mercenary group, right? And so part of the reason why France perhaps has sort of fell in line blindly behind the United States in this conflict with Russia is because of their neo-colonial interests in Africa. And so yeah. all of this to say, W. Du Bois wrote a, a piece called The African Roots of War in 1915, where he was speaking about what the African roots of World War One war were, right? That it's always, we our eyes are always on Europe, but what makes these places world wars is a conscription of racialized people into these conflicts, but also the ways that their struggles over, over land, boundaries, and resources in the global South, particularly in Africa, so. Right. Yeah. And I just uh, wanted to add to to your point, Sharice, about uh, even the Tigray conflict, right? Eritrea is and is facing sanctions primarily because it is the only um, African country with that does not have a relationship with Africa. So 53 out of 54 African countries does. And then also with the resources, that's a water issue as well. So Africa's presence in that region is primarily, you know, it's a resource base, um, as she spoke about. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's apocalyptic and and also apocalyptic in the sense of it never gets talked about again. And and I think, and I'm so appreciative of y'all making those really detailed and far-reaching points because they do certainly relate to this conversation about, about Russia and Ukraine because it is, it's, I think the the move in public discourse right now, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I, the way I see it is we find other nations who are essentially doing what we're doing, and we we all rush together to condemn what is clearly um, an evil, um, but without any sense of understanding of the fact that they're. Um, that they're doing essentially what, what we're participating in all over the world. Um, so let me and, just offer a quick corrective. It is yeah. incorrect to say that what Russia is doing is what the United States and NATO has been doing. The U.S. claims defense, but is always on the offensive. Imagine mm -hmm. if China and Russia, this happened during the Bay of Pigs is this precise thing, right? Yeah. Imagine yeah. if China and Russia surround the sort of you know surrounded the united states had canada mexico alaska um uh cuba and you know had had military weapons and bases surrounding the united states and and there were agreements let's call it finks finsk one and finks too, right? <laughs> that were meant to stave off conflict. And time and again, those agreements had been defied. And time and again, China and Russia continued to encroach and surround the United States up to Mexico, right? Up to the Rio Grande. Yeah. And then the United States said, you know what? Let's go. 
That would be in if that were the scenario, then then we could we might argue that Russia or any other country is doing what the United States has been doing. It is not the case. And so we need to disabuse ourselves of this idea that because because um, Russia has engaged in a military offensive, it's simply doing what the West is doing. And we need to be mindful of calling it imperialism. Right. They did not. (laughs) There's so much going on. But again, the 2014 conflict, right? The 20, the 2014 coup, U.S.-backed coup in Ukraine, and the installation of a particular, um, you know, a, a particular ruler, is just the most recent sort of provocation, right? And then, mm-hmm. and installing a ruler, mind you, who was bent on joining NATO again, bringing a particular military apparatus to the border of Russia. I could go on and on about this, but I just, so, so yeah, that no, I, I presented yeah. that very sloppy <laughs> analogy just to say, I thought it yeah. was this. Yeah. yeah okay. So it's like, this I is mean, not, this is apples yeah. and oranges, right? No, so, but to add to your analogy, right? Yeah. Because what if also China and, and Russia was using Mexicans to attack people in Texas, right? <laughs> and and <laughs> nobody in the U.S. was supposed to do anything, you know, that's, that's, sure. What's happening in Eastern Europe? Like, and imagine, and imagine, slaughtered for eight years. Yeah, for the help. Like, you see what I'm saying? Right. And imagine if China and Russia was actually funding the right wing to do this. Okay, (laughs) actually, but not not. I mean, not the not. Yeah, not like funding. Not even like the regular like alt right. I mean, neo Nazi like the for real like the for real right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, not like conservatives like neo-nazis because that's exactly what that and and i'm i'm glad dr cbs that you corrected me on that because that's i think that is that is that goes right to our point about nato so we touched on it before um and so let's let's dive in let me just read real quick um your the second point so i'm going to definitely link to this it's called a brief guide on the situation in ukraine this is on the black alliance for peace website so your second point in that, and you've already kind of mentioned the first point, we'll talk about that in a sec, but is says the US, uh, EU, and NATO axis of domination. We see NATO as a criminal military structure whose only purpose is providing the military material base for the maintenance and extension of US, EU, NATO axis of domination or white power. Okay, so let's, let's stop there. I mean, let's, let's go into that. Like what, I guess, again, I, I've, I'm very sympathetic to this point. So I'll just lay it out there. I, I think I agree hundred percent. And even the way you, you phrase that or CBS is talk about NATO and how this, how this historically has created this problem and, um, and how this in particular is a, um, is worthy of being called white power and um, white colonial power in particular. Well, so er- Erica can hop in here too, but what I, but what I just want to say, so like I'm, I'm a political theorist, I'm a black studies scholar, but I'm a political theorist. And so like, I take a broad view before NATO. So, so there's a sort of confusion I want to clear up here because people are saying, well, Russian, Russians are white, right? This is this is a white man's war. Russians are white, Ukrainians. And so so whiteness is operating in an interesting way here, right? Mm-hmm. 
the way that even before the Cold War, even before the establishment of the USSR, there has always been hostility between Western Europe or Europe, you know, what's considered mm-hmm. Europe and right. Eastern Europe. This is a long-standing beef. And so Gerald Horn, he has obviously the best analysis on, on this, <laughs> but this goes back to even the Russians having funded the Ethiopians in the Battle of Ottawa in 1896, right? That they were, that they were, they were integral in funding that sort of, which was a proxy war between basically Britain and France, right? So all of this to say, like, there's a long-standing hostility over who is actually going to control like Europe proper. And that's an East versus West conflict. Now with the establishment of the USSR, it become it is a, it's, a East, a East versus West conflict with sort of ideological overturn, mm. overtones. That is to say communism versus capitalism, right? And so the establishment of NATO happens within that context, within the Cold War context in terms of sort of defending, you know, defending Western Europe from communist, communist imperialism and communist domination mm-hmm. up to and including the rearmament of Germany which they just whooped up <laughs> precisely because of fascism, the rush to rearm Germany. And the U.S. was the main pusher of this through the Marshall Plan over and above the protests of Britain and, and, and France. Hmm. And so the other thing we need to understand about NATO is U.S. domination. The U.S. even dominates its allies. Sure. And this is this is what puts EU countries like Germany, France, less UK, UK, is, but, <laughs> but, but Germany and France in particular in this particular bind, because they want to sort of thwart dollarization, they want to thwart US hegemony. And so they were making particular detente with both Russia and China. And this conflict has put them in so up to and including Germany having this particular um, this gas pipeline agreement with Russia. So they too want to thwart the United States domination at the same time that they need you the U.S. cover for their particular uh, colonial machinations elsewhere in the world. So this this is the fallacy. This is the, the fundamental contradiction of white supremacy, right? That it, it you make these, and if, if imperialism were at large, you have to make these stupid calculations, these backward calculations in order to maintain a particular conception of power and whiteness and to continue to extract resources. But all of that to say, so we call, so when we talk about the the US, EU, NATO axis of domination as a form of white power, the other way that that operates is to completely erase the violence and devastation that this body engages in, in the Middle East, in Africa, elsewhere, in in, um, Haiti, right, In, in the Caribbean, to only focus on to make the real problem or the real war when it affects white folks. And let me tell you something, mm. them Ukrainians just got white 10 days ago. They were, cause <laughs> they were Eastern Europeans. Mm. What saved them is their blonde hair and blue eyes. So, but, mm. but they are not considered part of the, the, the conventional locus of whiteness because they're Eastern Europeans. And so it's, it's a whiteness is this weird thing that operates to confuse and obfuscate, but it also sort of shifts the gaze from where, when violence happens to people that don't look like that. So. And your point about whiteness, the Wall Street Journal just took rushes away. (laughs) They said they're going back to their like Asian roots. Um, That was the headline. So they can give it and take it away at will. 
But wow. I think, yeah, but I think um, Bap's line about, you know, ending the U.S., uh, EU, NATO um, access of domination is really important. Uh, like Sharice noted earlier, like we did, we, Bap is founded on um, the day that NATO was founded primarily because of the way that we understand NATO. Um, and like the the way that it has instigated this, this war, um, I don't know. It's. I think. I think your point about whiteness is interesting because I do think that the way that NATO is being presented at these as these benevolent actors, um, mm. you know, to save the day, when it doesn't allow for people to to you know interrogate NATO's actual role anywhere else or see NATO as anything else other than these protectors of whiteness, um, and that's fine for everyone. I know. I just had a conversation with a family member the other day that went completely left. But they, they listened to MSNBC and all of that. Uh, no, they told me that uh, people like me shouldn't live in the U.S. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I was like, "Wow, like, you just put me out." But <laughs> <laughs> where am I going? Yeah, but um, but no, I think the the confusion is um the way that it's presented, right? I think that when people hear about these things, like when I talk about the year that has been the, that has been done to Haiti and Haitians alone, I mean, mm. it was from start to finish of the year, um. And that, you know, the moments that it was happening, yeah, it did get, create some outrage, but then it was forgotten until the next moment, but it was always something continuous. But we never got candlelight visuals for Haiti, like ever, <laughs> at all, at any point. You know, Uber didn't ask me to raise funds even after the earthquake happened. <laughs> yeah. you know? And that these are the things that's happening. So the mainstream collapse on this is um, to you know, support that hegemony, um, Western hegemony and support that NATO structure. And you see it because they're saying it full out, like they want NATO to, to stand and to hold as that structure. So they're more than willing to continue to engulf these smaller countries and um, as they move further East and Russia should just be okay with that. And that's the, that's the line that for me, even for folks who say that this is a white on white situation or this is what Europeans. And then I always question, well, how do we as Africans see self-determination or understand self-determination or even understand self-defense, right? Because all of these questions about sovereignty, well, Ukraine hasn't had sovereignty since the coup. Um, in 2014. So that's just a, that's a non-factor. But then there is no sovereignty for Haiti, right? Because they're picking and choosing. There is no sovereignty currently what's happening um, in Palestine, right? That the, the U.S. is fully in support of. Um, so when we have that question about sovereignty, even for ourselves, um, how do we see when it's threatened? <laughs> how do we understand yeah. defending ourselves? You know, and then even with the Minsk agreements that were continuous. I mean, for me, I feel like this was eight years of uh, patience. <laughs> uh, with, because when folks talk about um, Russia, I mean, Ukrainian deaths, they do not mention uh, the Donbass region and what has happened to those people. 15,000 people have died in that region. You know, they asked for that help primarily because they were being slaughtered. So when we consider these things and then you see these peace agreements and they're being ignored and you see neo-Nazis continue to get um, platformed and supported um, and mainstream, then you have to ask, well, what does that mean for us um, if the question of our self-determination is decided by these same factors who don't respect self-determination of Africans anywhere? So what does that mean for Africans here if we're just steadily aligning with it? 
So that's always been a question for me, especially as we see, as we try to understand whiteness or even make this an issue of race, as opposed to an issue of imperialism. Hmm. Yeah, um, I love that. Love, love the, fr the framing of that. Uh, <laughs> talk about, talk about just the Minsk Accords and how the, how this is playing into this this current moment, um, and again the threat that that in particular um, development would have been to Russia. Basic facts yeah. of it is just basically that there was an agreement to um, that Ukraine would be a neutral a neutral um, actor in this that NATO would you know, not support and that they would uh, recognize um, Dumbas as independent, they would recognize uh, Crimea as independent, but also like uh, not continue to antagonize. That was the agreement. Um, and then, it, you know, obviously they did not recognize either of the accords, but I do know there was something specifically in the, in the, in the second one that I can't that I can't think of that um, right now. But the basics of it is that it was a peace agreement um, that was just not recognized. So the idea that um, Russia, well, really Putin, right? Because this is not really about Russia as so much as it is about making um, the one individual, the one lone egomaniac and all of these things. Mm -hmm. But um, that those peace agreements that they continue to, to uh, try to uphold was just not recognized. Um, he was essentially slapped in the face continuously. So one thing you mentioned, Erica, in, in that framing um, is in, when we talk about self-determination, when we talk about um, really all the things that, that y'all have brought up today in this conversation, one point that that um, Black Alliance for Peace makes that I think might be might be a little bit surprising um, for for folks that um, are not kind of um, are, are new to this conversation is about is about self defense and one of the one of the crazy things that I've seen out there in the response to this in this last week is um, Putin has has made mention of trying to denazify um, Ukraine. And that has been like almost universally panned from the, you know, the Marco Rubio's, Rubio's of the world um, to, to folks that I would agree with that I'm surprised um, to, to read um, that they're saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about the right wing, we've talked about um, self-determination, but talk about how that fits in with particularly a, a model of peace, um, but also there is a there's support for um, for the use of, of force um, within the platform of Black Alliance for Peace. So can you all talk, um, hopefully that is, that's not too um, rambling of a framing for y'all to, to kind of hear what I'm what I'm asking. Um, but can you all talk about about the place for um, for violence, for self-determination, for use of force within, particularly within your framing and, and in this moment um, for a, a sovereign nation? I think in the context of what's happening in Eastern Europe, um, 
the only way that we can advocate for peace is to advocate to oppose the US EU um, NATO axis of domination. Uh, recognizing that that is the core and the root of the violence, not just what's happening in Eastern Europe, but what's happening globally. Um, and I think what's interesting, what I think is interesting is just saying that um, positions people in that sort of, well, now you're a pro-Putin supporter, mm -hmm. you know, now you are pro-Russian. And I think that that's the sort of, um, the sort of red herring you get when you criticize Biden. Now you are now a Trump supporter. Yeah. You know? On yeah. that sort of, uh, so I don't find any, like, I don't find it any usefulness in, in uh, responding to that. Whether or not I support <laughs> Putin or not is irrelevant yeah. because um, the actions of NATO stand for it on its own and for itself. Um, so if we're calling for peace. I think that even in the context of us here, as, as uh, like how uh, we understand ourselves as uh, colonized people uh, within the U.S., right? Um, like we don't like we do not see ourselves as a part of empire per se, but we understand ourselves as, as Africans living within empire. So, as colonized people here, um, under that context of of peace, we know that peace is not in the absence of you know self defense. Like uh, because that's reform after reform after reform gets us that type of um, logic and no actual material change in conditions. Um, Teresa, do you want to piggyback or jump in? Yeah, so uh, the de the denazification is irrelevant. It's bull. I call bullshit, and I'm not making a both sides argument, but I call bullshit yeah. on that as in as a any sort of goal in this aim. Because let me tell you something: there will never be um, fascism will never end. Not you know neo Nazism will never end with the global anti-communism and anti-socialism because the the primary reason why the U.S. is more amenable to fascism is because of its endemic anti-communism and anti-socialism and that is a hundred and that's from the left mm -hmm. the U.S. left and the right this is this is a hundred percent facts the reason why in the 1920s the U.S. celebrated Mussolini and loved Mussolini was because of the way he beat back the labor unions and the communists let's be clear about that the reason why the U.S. hated the Germans and that hatred for Germans um, in World War I went seamlessly to the hatred of, of communists was because Germany had the strongest socialist movement up until World War I period. And when you look at, I can, I'm doing, I'm writing a book about this right now. So it's like top of yeah. mind. There was literally this idea that it was the Germans who were training the Bolsheviks. Who are continuing on the sort of subversive mm. nature of socialism? So this was there were there were there were committees and hearings that were held in the United States about this. And so anybody who says they're committed to they're anti-fascist and anti-neo-Nazi, but they are anti-communist and they and they don't believe it's not that you have to be communist, but if you're anti-communist and you're anti-socialist and you believe that socialist countries do not have the right to exist to be self-determining to defend themselves, then it's it's absolute bullshit. Yeah. So both, so neither, so Russia's alliance with Belarus betrays any, mm. any sort of concern about the right wing or Nazism. This does not mean at the same, this does not mean that on that accord, what Russia is doing is wrong, right? So that's, we need to, we need to, this is why imperial, as Eric always says, imperialism is the primary contradiction. When we reduce it to this race question or this question about moralism, moralism or ethics around Nazis or not Nazis, let's just be clear. Like 
that is not the problem. That is not the, that is not the primary contradiction at this time. And when we only look, if that becomes the sort of lens, this is where you get the both sides arguments. This is right. where you miss, this is where you equate Russia and the United States or NATO, and they are right. not equivalents. And so I think, I think it's important to, to, um, to point that out. And when, or even when people are focusing, for example, on the Ukrainian treatment of, of African immigrants, that is absolutely important. And also, what do you think when you have a large contingent of Nazis in the government and in the military, how do you think they're going to treat Black people? But also, again, that allows for an identity reductionist analysis. It allows for an, an intersectional imperial analysis where you then say, well, na- well look, you know, it, it allows for a misunderstanding of what the act, what, what the sort of actual situation is. It's not to say that it's not important. It's not to say that those those sort of forms of, of discrimination are not important, but it just, it it allows for you to zoom in on one particular thing and lose perspective on the conflict as a whole, right? right. And so we still ought to care about folks in Ukraine who are affected by war because they're not all Nazis. And, the, right. and, and quite frankly, even if they were, like we we are for the working masses, we're for the working class. But we also care about the masses in Yemen, in Syria, mm. in Somalia, in Haiti, right? In Colombia, in Nicaragua, and in all of these other places where the U.S. has engaged in low intensity or direct warfare. So, so let's, we just need to have clarity about this situation and not engage in these moralistic or these reductionist arguments that allow for an actual evasion of the conflict and what what the foundations are right and then to your point Sharice like focusing on imperialism would help us understand why the U.S. would be backing um, neo-Nazis as they're going through with this January 6th commission against those same neo-Nazis because that's where they were training in Ukraine but at the same time did they strip the provision of not funding neo-Nazis that they passed in 2015 so that they can fund those Nazis that they're trying to condemn in the January 6th but trying to paint it on Trump, right? Because now, right. yeah. <laughs> and no. all, they're doing all of that as they are using the January 6th commission to slyly increase uh, funding to the police um, for our safety against uh, domestic terrorism, terrorism that they're completely in support of when it's foreign. So- mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, uh, the and, contributions uh, that we miss when we don't focus on imperialism, including why those African and Indian and other colonized people would even be in Ukraine having to go there as students and not in their own homes, which are, you know, neo-colonial, you know, neo-colonial. Yeah, no, and I think bringing in the January 6th, and I know we don't have time to get all the way into it, but like touching on on how the even how Congress has reacted to the January 6th um, episode is, yeah, I mean, it's as if there's not enough laws in the books, as if there's not enough funding for um, DC police or, uh, or police in the area, as if the, the problem um, of what, a thousand or so, um, uh, I don't know, you can call them neo-Nazis, you can call them shaman or whoever it was that that came in there. Um, But the move to to pretend like that is um, a jumping off place for for cracking down on domestic terrorists, uh, quote unquote. Um, And I think think just the reductionistic nature of how we've looked at that um, is, is 
has a real parallel to how we've been looking at really at everything, particularly since Trump, um, that it's that again, going back to your phrase earlier, Erica, he's he's a boogeyman. So every all of this, January 6th, um, Russia, all this stuff, um, because apparently with you know, he took like, I don't know, a couple hundred actions and sanctions against, and I, I wish we had more time to go into the sanctions that you mentioned earlier, Dr. CBS. Um, maybe we can talk about them for our four minutes remaining that y'all have for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's this reductionistic, you're either on the side of Russia or you're on the side of peace. Um, I mean, and, and it's, it's maddening to look at how and how the discourse is so flat and so simple, um, and and again misses misses the point entirely. Um, I think is what y'all are saying. Um, so maybe we can talk sanctions in, in another day because I, I know y'all have to run. Um, but can y'all just give us give us a quick little plug for what each of you are involved in, how we can follow your work? I know Dr. CBS, you said that you've got got a really interesting uh, book in the works. Um, the title alone, I think, is uh, worth, makes it worth just checking out. Uh, so yeah, and, and Erica, tell us what you got going on as well. So maybe Erica, go first. Yeah, I don't, uh, still have the blog, hookcommunist.org, um, but mostly still organizing behind the scenes, nothing really going on as of yet. Still working with political prisoners and still trying to organize my book uh, initiative. So if you can, please support Liberation Through Reading. I am on Instagram and uh, you can find me by Book for a Child to be distributed. Awesome. Thanks. Support Erica's Patreon. Erica is a prolific writer, a poet, an essayist has also has published poetry books and so also support Erica's Patreon um, to get access to those writings. So uh, Erica is notoriously humble. I am not. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> yes. So yes, I'm writing a book called Black Scare, Red Scare, or it's actually in revision stage at this point. It's supposed to be dropped spring 2023. But fuck that. Let me tell you something. This is what I'm ending on. <laughs> Nuclear war is bad. We will die. This is not, so this chest beating, this rah, rah, no. War is bad. <laughs> we will die. So I, I just want to put that out there, one. And two is you have to, um, I have sympathy for our people, right? That we have to wade through so much of the propaganda that comes through like the mainstream yeah. media. But you have, like, you have to engage alternative sources because this, like, you know, I think it was, who said like the mainstream media will have you thinking your enemies are your friends and your friends are your enemies. Yes. Russia is not your enemy. Even, and, and, and the other thing I wanted to mention, the other, the final thing I'll end on is like, we need to move away from this madman discourse because number mm. one is ableist. It's assuming that people's violence and repression is because of mental illness. No, their violence and repression is due to capitalist accumulation is due to imperialism it's through, due to colonialism and many other things and secondly this is none of this is about individuals it is not this is all about structural imperative this is all about hatred of the masses 
period. And the, and the incessant drive to disempower ordinary people and to build a world that is not, um, that decenters people-centered human rights. So this whole madman discourse, it doesn't matter. I don't care if Putin is batshit crazy. I don't care if Trump was. What I care mm-hmm. about is that, that they have access to nuclear weapons, that yeah. they can press those buttons. And the way that they, the way to stop Number one, that model of leadership, but also that threat is through organizing. So as we always say, join a revolutionary organization, do work in that organization and engage in political education um, collectively. And that's it. Like my book can be part of that political education, fine. But like, this is, (laughs) war is bad, y'all. Like we will (laughs) die. So I just really want to press that fact. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, gosh, if we had more time we talk about sanctions, we talk about nuclear war and, and the, yeah, like you said, the complete, the complete disconnect between what we're actually facing. If we, whatever, if we pull Ukraine further into NATO, if, if Ukraine um, joins EU or whatever, like these, these things are, they're not neutral. And if we keep pushing the other incredibly insanely nuclear power into a corner what like if people actually think that that the problem is that the other guy with the nuclear button is is has lost it um what like what are we doing to push this (laughs) what are we doing to push ourselves towards the brink of a nuclear disaster like yeah um War is bad. Nuclear war is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't know, um, catastrophic, really bad. Like what? What, what are words? Um, no, I was gonna say, and sanctions kill. So we should be mindful of these things as in yes. our analysis moving forward. And free yes. Mumia. <laughs> <laughs> Good, get it in there. Okay, thank you all so much, Dr. CBS, uh, Erica Keynes. I really, really appreciate this time, and uh, we'll hope to hope to keep in touch and have uh, one or both of y'all on in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's the show for this time around. Thanks again to Dr. Sharice Burdenstelli, to Erica Keynes for a really interesting conversation for one that's going to make me think for one that's going to make me troubled about what I'm reading in the day-to-day news coverage of the Russia-Ukraine situation. Again, like we said, war is terrible. Nuclear war is catastrophic. So please think twice about supporting a march towards further armaments in this time, because not only does it strike moral questions, but it strikes questions literally about the continuation of the planet and of humanity. So think about that before you retweet that talking point. Okay, the art for the show is by Phil Nellis. The music is by Orbach. We'll talk to you soon. Now go in peace to love and serve.